let's break it down. That's right. It's episode 24 of the Let's Break It Down podcast. It's Lemmings. It's Jay Wu. We're here with you, and we are going to be bringing you a recall through the Dallas homestand. And this is Lemons, and I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. So today's going to be a J-Will takeover. So Which J-Will, is always take scary. It away, my man. <laughs> We're going to take this away. So April 30th, we are here to bring you this recall episode. Do the best I can at the hosting duties. This will be a first go for, for me. I usually let Lemmings handle all that business. But you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We are at Let's Break It Down. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Breaking Down OWL. That's also our Facebook at. You can follow me, Brian, at JWill2287. I'm still working on getting Lemmings folks onto Twitter by himself. I'm not never having so much happen, success. Never gonna happen. Never but gonna I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at BreakItDownOWL at gmail.com. So we're going to go through this Dallas homestand. We're going to review the matches, the scores, who won, who lost. Probably talk a little bit about some playoff scenarios, just because I know I've been thinking about that a lot as these matches were occurring. And we're going to address some of the things we saw, some of our big surprises. There was one major one that happened over the weekend. And I think we're going to give a round of applause for the Dallas area for putting on a great, great experience for fans and players alike. I can't imagine anybody didn't have a good time. Obviously, teams that lost probably didn't enjoy it, but it's a great area. They looked like they all had a blast. The crowd was phenomenal. The casters looked like they enjoyed every second. I can't wait for more of these to come out next year. It's going to be going to be glorious. Yeah, I want I want some tickets to those VIP seats. I don't know if you saw those, but they had I did. <laughs> multiple rows of recliners up front. You could buy you could buy the VIP ticket experience, and that looked baller. That'd be so much fun. <laughs> Those people were watching in in luxury and comfort. They had good seats. They had comfortable seats. It was right in front of the action. I mean, you couldn't ask for much more. I can only see things going up from there. The VIP experiences are only going to get more expensive, but they're also going to get more epic as we go along. This was just a first go at it. And it looked like it was thoroughly enjoyable. So I can't imagine the next set um, in Atlanta being anything less than that. And it's possible they even up the ante and do more. So that's that's going to be fun to see that come down. I just hope you and I and hopefully we can get uh, Matt and Joe in on it as well to to make a trip to wherever the closest homestand is next year and possibly splurge for those VIP seats. Very much a a, a good golf clap, a solid golf clap for Dallas Fuel, that organization, that team, and really that, you know, Dallas, Texas for for showing up. I mean, this was a test. This was a test run of what it's going to be like for teams to be playing in their home regions. And they had 5,000 seats. And from everything I was told, 5,000 seats were sold out. But it was really important, I think, for Dallas to be a success in terms of attendance, in terms of energy, in terms of how it all felt. And I think across the board, Really, except for except for a massive power outage <laughs> right off the bat, that it was I felt it. I mean, I was at home, I was watching it, and I felt the energy. I felt watching the matches was different. I felt it was different. So, I think it was a huge. I hope Overwatch League sees it as a huge success, and they're encouraged by it, and they're going to be putting a lot more energy into these homestand weekends. I don't see how they can uh, uh, value it or not value, but. Uh 
view it as anything but a success. That was a phenomenal experience all the way around. Um, the power outage notwithstanding, which is not in their control. We have no <laughs> idea what actually led to the power outage, but we're totally going to claim the fact that that place was electric, that it caused the power surge uh, across the the area down in Allen, Texas. But I, an EMP'd the convention center. Exactly. Uh, another thing, though, that I thought was a big deal is I don't know who was watching, but I'm fairly certain they had a, the Bud Light, quote unquote, night in there. He was there. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing that. I couldn't. I was. About to say, there, I didn't. But... I couldn't tell if it was cosplay, but it was definitely the Bud Light night. They just signed uh, Bud Light as the official sponsor or you know, beer sponsor for the rest of the year. So that's a big step forward for the league. When you're getting beer money, that that changes everything. Uh, that's, that's a big <laughs> money maker so for any sport. I know that seems weird. Like we're talking to like 18, 19, 20 year old kids for the most part playing. Yeah. But you know, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three are actually watching, and we know the revenue that. Beer, alcohol sales can drive from other sporting events. So I believe this is a huge deal to get some sort of partnership with Bud Light for the league. Like, again, this is another investment by a big company. So the league right now is still trajectory is still just up. Yep. Just indicating that stability, indicating that people are, you know, think that it's going to be around for a while and are willing to make, you know, put pen on paper and make an investment into the league. So you know, all good signs for me, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how big the deal was or how long the deal was necessarily, but other big corporations are looking at it and they're going, I can spend valuable re- revenue or I can spend valuable advertising dollars here instead of in other places. And that just indicates to me that they're they're seeing the numbers that they like, even though maybe we're not getting those numbers on our side. Another good sign. Yes, definitely. So I won't lie, I kind of botched the news section there because that kind of was it. Bud Light signing on to... Uh, be a sponsor of Overwatch League through the rest of the 2019 season. Another big deal for the league. Happy about it. Allen, Texas, kudos to you again. I'm looking forward to the next homestand in Atlanta. So let's go ahead and let's jump into the recall. Let's try that again. Saturday. So again, we only had two days worth of matches because it was in Allen, Texas. There were only eight teams playing. Everybody played twice. But Saturday, we had Paris starting off the day against London. This turned into not much of a match. London 4-0'd them. London was in control of this match from start to finish. It was kind of unfortunate to not see this play out a little tougher. London needed the match to make sure that they got to their fifth win. Without mathematically putting them in the playoffs, it pretty much put them in the playoffs. Yeah, um, I think, and we're going to probably talk about this a little bit later, but Paris needs to stop the, the player carousel right now. Um, certainly at the DPS positions. It's really disappointing to see an expansion team that I think had, so they were kind of a sleeper for me. Uh, certainly great signings with Soon and Shadowburn, so a lot of people had a lot of hopes. And then they filled those hopes and dreams in the first couple weeks in Stage 1 and really haven't been able to put anything together ever since. They had a really tough grind of a schedule on the way out of Stage 1 and kicking off Stage 2, they've just really haven't been able to put together a string of matches or maps that make make sense. I mean, they're supposed to be strong in the 3-3. Three, 3-3 three. Three, three, three is still prevalent. It's still playable. It's still an option. And, you know, London, a team who didn't look strong in the 3-3, three, three, come in and, and pretty much dominate Paris. I don't know what to I don't know what to do with Paris. It's really hard. They have the talent on the team, but they just don't seem to be turning it into a cohesive roster that comes out and can play well. They're not. They're not. And that's kind of the weird part about their roster is they showed so much promise through those first two matches in stage one. And then everything kind of just snowballed out out of control on them. 
and they haven't been able to reclaim that form. I firmly believe they're better than what they're playing. And I mean, they're still floating around the middle of the league, so they're not out of it. They still have two more stages to get it all together, but you need to start seeing more complete, uh, more complete matches against teams to where they're either winning them or they're competing at a very high level and pushing a team to the brink, especially if they're supposed to be the, the lower tier team of the two against teams of equal, you know, equal standing. They need to go ahead and they need to win those if they want to be really truly considered a playoff contender come the end of the season. They just, they just can't find that consistency because they do look good. Some matches, even if they don't win them, they do look good. And then other matches, they just look like they don't know what a three, three is or what, to do against a 3-3 if that's what's being run against them. So it's unfortunate. Hopefully they get that figured out because Shadowburn and Sooner, too, the better DPS players. And I do like their roster. I think they have a lot of good pieces. Like you said, they just got to put it all together consistently. Moving on, though, second match of the day was the Hangzhou Spark against the Chengdu Hunters, a matchup expected to be entertaining and fun. I'm only sad that it didn't go to five maps because it was entertaining and fun. This ended up being a Hangzhou Spark win, 3-1. Not for a lack of Chengdu doing what they do best, which is not playing 3-3. They continue to rain rockets down. They continue to run DPS characters and say, we're going to play our style and you can deal with it. I had a feeling this one was going to be a banger. I called it in our in our preview show for this week coming up. And um, it absolutely was. It, didn't, it did not disappoint. I mean, there was all different kinds of compositions run. There was 3-3. There was soldier, there was junk rat, there was pirate ship. I mean, it was if if there was something that you like about Overwatch metas, then it was it was probably in there at some point. A lot of character swaps, a lot of counter picks, picks counter picks. Um, every match coming down. I mean, just just big time hero plays. One thing I maybe want to point out about Chengdu, and sometimes it works for them. And you know, we're gonna talk about that later. But and sometimes it doesn't. It's the management of that ultimate economy it's sometimes they're just kind of using their ultimates separately or they've picked a composition where you know the ultimates really just don't benefit from each other and that's it's one of the bigger reasons that goats really works is because every single ultimate kind of contributes to that that fight at the end of the day so you you know the black hole or the graviton surge (laughs) is that a dollar that might be a dollar i might have to be that's that's pretty blatant there yeah the graviton surge plays, you know, keeps everybody locked in so that Reinhardt can just be swinging the hammer, and you know, obviously keeps everybody present for the the diva bomb damage. So, uh, and then all the support ultimates actually layer quite nicely. Brig gives you the armor. Zenyatta is keeping you alive with the constant three hundred heals per second. So, it all fits together. What Chengdu is doing are playing these, you know, characters that they feel good on that they are really good at. And it works, but sometimes that ultimate economy doesn't come together. Like, I think the biggest example I have of this is Ameng's Wrecking Ball, which he's extremely good at. But Minefield really just doesn't fit with a lot of the other things they're doing. It's really hard if you don't have like a some sort of Earth Shatter or some sort of something, you know, Graviton Surge or something to keep people in that Minefield as it activates, right? So then, you know, there's no synergy. There's no bringing it all together so he uses minefield and it's a zoning alt and that's you know maybe it keeps people off the cart for a minute or two but it's not as effective as some of these other compositions where there's true synergy between the ultimates that's when i'm watching chengdu i love it i'm having fun there it's a great time and they're really competitive but i think if i had any one hit that would probably be my bigger hit it's more or less just a byproduct of 
the heroes they're playing, their alts are not meant to be synergized together. So it's kind of use it whenever you want to, basically. There's no rhyme or reason to when they use it. There's no reason to even hold on to some of them. Even when they're running Sombra, like, you know, all right, find six people and run it. The way that they're playing is so individualistic and spread out that it's use your alt when you need it or want to use it, essentially. Yeah. And that does come back to bite them every now and then. And honestly, more times than they probably would like, especially when they're up against other 3-3 teams that are synergizing all their alts and things like that. But in this matchup specifically, Hangzhou was more than happy to play some of their DPS heroes and show some of their flexibility with their their players, which I love to see. I wish they could do more of that, but unfortunately, they keep trying to bang their head against the 3-3, which they're still decent at. They just aren't as consistent and aren't on the level of the better teams in front of them. So I don't even want to discuss this one, honestly. Third match of the day was Seoul versus Houston. We've discussed Houston ad nauseum the last couple of episodes. We're frustrated as fans. I can only imagine that other fans are just as frustrated. Seoul dominated this matchup from start to finish. I was only thrilled that Houston decided to say, hey, this is our best six-man lineup. Why don't we play it? Granted, it's seven people altogether, but they used it. Thank you for making a change. You took Arhan out. You stopped the cool mat thing. It. I was just pleased to see them try something different. I think they got a little unlucky with the map rotation they got because the maps they got kind of forced them into 3-3 a little more often than I think they would have liked to have played that. And they just they just aren't good at it, unfortunately. And it's it's sad to watch, but Seoul, clearly the better team, did what they were supposed to do, put themselves in a great spot for the playoffs this stage. I, I don't know what to say that I don't feel like I've already said. Right. Um, or that you already just said right there. I mean, yay. Uh, you, you know, you picked a lineup and you stuck with it and you put out what I believe to be probably your best six players. I frankly would have liked to see you change in the other direction. So it seems like you changed and committed to the 3-3, which I think is your weakest composition. You know, they looked the strongest against Vancouver and some of these others when they were running the Torb Soldier 76. I mean, Link's are on Soldier 76 then annihilated the Vancouver Titans. And yeah, I mean, certainly there are maps that are geometrically King's Row comes to mind. Paris comes to mind. Well, actually, Paris is a lot more bunker, really, but um rialto comes to mind where yeah i mean three three probably geometrically matters uh because you just have to stay alive in all these choky you know alleyways and choke points and everything but i don't know i you know i think at this point it's just not working so you've either got to change from my perspective you either got to change back to the dps just run the dps do what Chengdu's is doing and be surprising be different be crazy <laughs> and off the wall play it really well or or you need to make a per player personnel change you know i think one thing houston probably made a mistake on last year is the recognition that we needed a tra everyone knew that houston outlaws needed a, a better tracer player and we just never really went out and got it and you're already seeing players the washington justice i'm sorry you're already seeing teams the washington justice um, you can see London acquire some players. We've seen Shanghai um, train some players, trade some players out. So make the change. Don't, you know, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for further proof that this isn't working? Are we waiting for, oh, one day this is all going to click and they're going to figure it all out and it's going to be amazing? I just, it's not working. So you, you've just got to change. You can't, you can't keep doing it. Like, uh, I, I'm going to stop. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You're absolutely right. They're, you're going to run out of time if you're waiting for something to change. So you have to make the change happen right now. It's simple as that. On to the fourth match of the day, though. The Dallas home crowd. Proud of you guys. You showed out for this. 
you clearly scared the crap out of the LA Valiant, which Bruh. they admitted going <laughs> into the match, which was even funnier. But you forrowed the Valiant, which is what exactly you're supposed to do against a team that you're clearly better than. You proved that the week before was a little more of a hiccup than anything when you got forrowed twice, but got back on the proper footing, looked much, much better than the prior week, and looked more like I thought they would look last week, honestly, playing in the 3-3 and doing some other things that they can do. But that crowd, man, that crowd was loud. That crowd was obnoxious for the opposing team. They were chanting the whole time, and you know that those players can hear it through their headphones. There's no way you cannot. There is no amount of active sound dampening that can filter out 5,000 people shouting, Dallas Fuel, Dallas Fuel. Yeah, it was it was electric. It was a lot of fun to watch. I actually really enjoyed like the player walkouts because they individually announced people. Um, that was a lot of fun, kind of introducing your home your your home team to the home crowd. That was a lot of fun because this is the first home game ever. I mean, there's never been a, a game outside of the Los Angeles Arena except for the Grand Finals last year. That doesn't count. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily count. So, uh, it was it was absolutely electric. I enjoyed it. Um, Los Angeles Valiant. We kind of got another glimpse into. Yeah, I, I do think, and we're going to talk about this at more length later. Home home field home field matters. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Welcome to playing outside of Los Angeles, guys. Yeah, I mean like that's the thing, you know, you're so used to everyone kind of being on your side in that case. It matters and and Los Angeles Valiant, I if we felt like maybe a week or two ago had shown improvement and we started to see some of it, I think they kind of backtracked on it in this match. Yeah, definitely a little bit of reverting to their former selves when they were not playing well because they had shown improvement and progress, which was encouraging to see. Yeah, it looks uh, completely I, out of sorts. And I mean, in a way, kind of things that you expect maybe when you're playing on the road, like, you know, communication is a little bit more different. You you know, obviously, if they're all screaming because Dallas just made a great play, you're kind of trying to line up or synergize an ultimate economy or something, and it's just not clicking. I am going to pick one bone with the, the walkouts, by the way, since you mentioned it. Okay. Don't tease me with Mickey, guys. You can't do that to me. <laughs> I was so, like, I literally, I thought he was playing. I, when he was the first person to be announced, walked out with a flag. I was like, oh, my God, Mickey's about to play. Yes. And and then I realized, oh, my God, they're just announcing everybody because here comes Harry Hook. Here comes Taimu. And then here comes the starting roster. I was like, don't do that to me, man. You got me all excited <laughs> just to tear me back down because Mickey still hasn't played this season. And I miss watching him play. I just I genuinely want to know what they've asked him to go do. That's, that's no what's clue, confusing man. me at this point. Let's move on to Sunday here. Sunday. Another exciting day. Started off with a really good match between the Spark and the Eternal. The Spark ended up taking this 3-2, but they were actually down 2-1 in going into map four, so they had to win the last two. Um, Paris, what a day, difference a day makes for some teams. I swear, man. Uh, they just they looked better yeah. is the best way I can explain it. I do like it when they play Shadowburn and Soon together. I don't know why they keep flipping back and forth. I know you're going to talk about it a little bit, but something about those two playing together seems to be working than when they only play one of them. So I wish they would go ahead and stick with it. Um, the Spark, though, you did what you had to do this week. Woo! You needed both these matches. Absolutely had to have them. Got yourself to, to four wins. So you're not going to finish anything worse than four and three. You're in a great spot to make the playoffs. It's all going to, for them, though, it's all going to come down to winning that last matchup because their map differential is trash. <laughs> yeah, my note here would be don't take Hangzhou to map five. Um, right. I if I was, if I was listening enough. to the, if I was listening to the casters, I believe Hongzhou is actually undefeated on Map Five, so don't don't take them that far. 
something we, about having that back up against the wall. And maybe that's maybe on a bigger scheme, you know, having your back up against the wall for the playoffs. I mean, they have to be eyeing that schedule and going, dude, I mean, this, you know, now or never, if we want to make a stage playoff right here, but certainly in the actual map five, I mean, just absolutely came out, looked really good taking on Paris again, just another thing to build on, you know, I mean, gooshway has been in now for quite some time. And so they're really starting to find that a little bit of synergy and it's, we're going to talk about why Paris, you know, why I think that that's important. And, and and I think that that's hurting Paris is having a solid, you know, roster of people that you play on a regular basis. Congratulations, Hangzhou, like, you know, handle your business on the way out. And we look forward to potentially seeing you in the stage playoffs. Second match of the day was the absolute shock of the weekend. Nobody saw this coming. We all know how unpredictable Chengdu is. They don't always beat the better teams, but they always seem to give them a headache. Uh, surprisingly, they seem to struggle more against some of the mid-tier teams than anybody else. Right. Uh, but they take down London 3-1, and they were in control of this this entire match. Even though they dropped the map, they were in control. They bullied London, for lack of a better term. I, yeah. That's how I felt. Like It was, hey, this is what we do. Get used to it. And London tried to run 3-3. They tried to run some Sombra. Um, they tried to deal with Farah every now and then they, they switched out and ran some DPS heroes and it just wasn't enough. I I'm still questioning their decision to run dual snipers into the, into the Chengdu lineup. Yeah. I actually really dislike that. Uh, even when I'm playing, I dislike it no matter what's going on. Cause Chengdu typically has a pretty divey roster in. So it's, you know, you're not going to have a whole ton of space with Aming straight farming you. Right. If you want to run one sniper, I can live with it. But when the moment you run two, you negate all of your ability to essentially be aggressive and push people. Because now it's just waiting on your snipers to pick somebody off. Yeah. I think the way to attack that Chengdu lineup is to be more aggressive and to potentially even just go to a full dive lineup. Honestly, I don't know why nobody has done that yet, but that's how I feel about it. Personally, I think that would work because you can get into that back line and there's not much that they can do to protect that back line. There's no shields. There's not much escapability when you're running Zenyatta and Ana or whatever they decide to run back there. It just, it doesn't work. So I wish, I wish London had not done that. That was a mistake in my opinion, but kudos to Chengdu, man. You guys just keep doing what you're doing and you decide to say to everyone else, you can either take it or leave it. You can come play our game and we're probably going to beat you or you can stick in that and we might beat you. And they did. They ended up pulling off the upset of the weekend by far. Yeah, this was a, a good combination of London kind of throwing up a a New York Excelsior level barf all over themselves. I don't know how else better to put that one. And Chengdu just playing really hard, playing really well. Uh, I definitely agree. If you're going to be playing against Chengdu, I think you need a really mobile roster. They do play spread out, but it, you, that means you can isolate players and pick them off one by one. So if you have that mobility, if you have the dive capability, you can eliminate some of their backline players or some of their more range DPS. Um, the fact that people still to this day are willing to let Chengdu run Jinmu on this Farah, I mean... You know it's coming at this point. Like I, I don't know how. Like right, it's head scratching, right? Yeah, I mean it's you know this is gonna happen. You know Jinmu is gonna be on a Farah. Why are you not picking accordingly? Like yeah, come out in your three three. That's fine, but he's just gonna put you back into a room where he farm you with rockets for for hours on end. Which is exactly what he did to London. If you need an illustration of how dominant Chengdu looked in this matchup, there's a on the second point after you've taken the the capture point on Eichenwald and they're coming across the bridge 
and Chengdu is on the cart on the bridge heading towards the big doors. Oh, yeah. And London is behind them. Like, yes. And not really engaging at all and just kind of escorting Chengdu who's escorting the cart. Like they were like, like they were the rear guard for Chengdu who they're supposed to be engaging. Like it was, they didn't really put anybody on there to contest. No gesture was Winston jump or anything. I mean, it was really just understandably you're, you're way out of position there, but you're all going to die. So at least try and do something and you never know how a fight's going to turn out in the end. You might be able to get a lucky pick and turn it in your favor. But I, I mean, they just, again, just, an epic level collapse on the part of the, of the London Spitfire. And I had in the preview for this matchup, I was saying I was going to keep an eye on London and see if they try and run the three, three. And then if, or if they try and run DPS and they tried both and neither, neither, neither worked. Great. <laughs> neither. No. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. <laughs> but if I had to say I was more disappointed in one thing or the other, it was the DPS lineups. I, I mean, you're a team that has gesture, profit, bird ring, uh, grand finals the grand finals profit on tracer was godlike um and these just as you kind of mentioned looked uncoordinated and, and bad so not sure what to do with london here me either i'm actually going to go on a tangent real quick and i'm going to revert back to this getting stuck behind the cart when you're the defensive team please stop doing that everyone i don't <laughs> care it's never a good decision why because now you have to come to the cart and the offensive team knows that they have no reason to get off the cart you have to come to them or you have to circle all the way back around the way you came. Either way, that cart's moving further than you want it to move. It is a bad mistake. I've seen it at least 10 times throughout this season so far on either a hybrid or an escort map. And I cannot stand it. It is so stupid to go and get on the defensive side of the cart. It just flat out is. Keep everything in front of you. Your objective is to run the clock out, not to try to come around and flank somebody that heavily with your entire roster. Okay, that's where I'm at with that. I'm moving on now. Third map of the third match of the day, excuse me, Soul versus the Valiant. This turned out to be almost another shocking Shocker. result. I, for the longest time, thought it was going to be, and I was going to be mad at, at Soul for losing this. But Soul does pull it out three two. It took five, and I think what I saw in this was the difference in crowd support for the Valiant, because clearly on on Sunday everybody wanted them to beat Soul, but nobody wanted them to beat Dallas on Saturday. I mean, the event's in Dallas, so that makes sense. But they had all of the crowd support on Sunday against Seoul, especially when they started to to look like they had a chance to win, when they were close on points or when they were actually pulling off maps. And then when they actually, you know, took it to map four, map five, the crowd was full throat cheering for the LA Valiant. Yeah, and if you need further explanation as to how bad Houston is in this current stage, the fact that they got 4-0'd by Seoul and the Los Angeles Valiant 3-2'd Seoul and actually played a competitive matchup. But absolutely. I mean, this was way more, and it's, you know, down to the edge of your seat. It was back and forth. Um, you know, Seoul comes out of the gate and ends up taking uh, Busan there. And then Los Angeles Valiant answer with Hanamura. And then Seoul takes King's Row and Valiant come back on Junkertown. So you ended up on an oasis for all the marbles, you know, and I love I I do love that they use the control points as map fives, absolute scrappy battles on these control points for oh. I mean, sometimes they're just extended battles where you're just like, who's going to just win? I just, you know, yeah, it's, it's everybody run to the center of the map and just fight to the death. And that's what all we want. Yeah. So I, you know, I love that they use control maps for that. Absolute, I mean, amazing and good job for the Los Angeles Valley, kind of recovering from that, the very clear, you know, homestand advantage in that first map and coming back and putting up, you know, kind of taking soul to the ropes a little bit. 
Seoul is kind of this up down team. You know, sometimes they come in and they 4-0. They look really good. They 4-0 the New York Excelsior. And then everyone, you know, then they come in against the Los Angeles Valiant and look like it's, it's going to be a struggle and a battle. Games aren't won on paper. That's all we can say. That's why they have to play. But this was important for Seoul. Let me tell you, if they don't get out of this weekend at 3-2, and two, they're in a world of hurt when it comes to their stage playoff hopes. Winning that match actually saved their playoff hopes, honestly, because they have it's what's essentially a coin flip. It's going to come down to them playing Hangzhou at the end of week five. It's the last match of week five, which is great. That's what you want. You want yeah. drama like that. So they had to have it. They lose this. They can almost, you know, just go ahead and take next week off. Moving on to the match that was built up. It was anticipated. It was the battle for the Lone Star State, the battle for Texas. Dallas was the home team, but plenty of Houston fans made the trek to Allen, Texas, to watch the Dallas Field take on the Houston Outlaws. Unfortunately for the Houston fans, it did not go in our favor. Dallas pulls off the victory 3-1. But finally, finally, Houston looks like they have some life. They gave Dallas all they wanted and some more. It came down to who was essentially better in specific moments. And we know that Houston makes plenty of mistakes. They're not suited well for the 3-3. But at the end of the day, you took a map. You took a map when I don't think anybody expected you to. I know I didn't expect them to take a map. I was very encouraged by the the change from Saturday to Sunday. It didn't come in personnel. It simply came in decision-making as in, you know, what are we going to try to do on this map? What What's our composition going to look like here? How are we going to counter this? Certain things look different, and the energy and the level of passion that each player played with was clearly different on Sunday, and they've got to find a way to bring that more often. Yeah, Battle Texas, right? Throw the records out the window. This is an absolute crazy windows to the walls match here and i've i feel like i've been dancing around saying it i feel like i haven't said it so i'm just gonna come out and say it and i really just feel like tyron needs to go (laughs) um he's the coach for the houston outlaws watching so this all comes down to watch point gibraltar at the very end and there's uh, they're into the time they're into the time bank uh matches Houston Outlaws actually looked really scrappy. They were taking each point like in overtime. I mean, total cardiac arrest here. I mean, every time you thought they were out of it, they thought they were did nothing. They just hung on, hung on, hung on, hung on. Finally got a pick of some sort and and moved the cart and got to the next point. And they actually had a good opportunity. So Dallas didn't have a great time bank going in either. They only had about, I think it was like a minute 40 to Houston's. Just they got the minute, the, yeah, yeah. the refill minute. Um. And so it comes down to not having, for me personally, not having Dante in the lineup and not having a Sombra lineup, something that worked for you. Um, Sombra is one of the few characters that can charge an ultimate in a minute. <laughs> um, and an EMP can absolutely win you, win you a match or win you a fight, excuse me. And I, I really felt like that was kind of the difference at the end was Zachary on, um, on Sombra and us not having a Sombra in there. So Houston ends up taking a fight down in the, the pit, the pit of destiny <laughs> um, that, that uh, there's the little tunnel that kind of goes on under the bridge part on that first kind of turnaround in Gibraltar. That's where they end up taking the fight and that's where they end up losing the fight. We've said it. I love Jake to death, but he is more often than not the first death on Brigida in a lot of Houston's fights and it's that 20 I believe it's like 27 heals per second if she if she's running inspire 
Brigitte is the only character in a in a three three lineup that has a burst heal, so it's the only one that can recover like a Reinhardt from pretty low. Um, and then Rally is just it's just a really great ultimate. So she's such a core and central part of a three three lineup, and he's dead so often that it causes problems. And we've said you know they maybe need to find a Brigitte player, and I think for me this just reinforced it. Certainly need to figure something out. Either you can't run the 3-3 with, with Bridget or you have to find somebody who can. And this is not a shot at Jake. He's doing fairly admirably at it. It's very clear that it doesn't suit him. It doesn't suit his play style. It's not what he's used to. And it's sometimes you can be practicing something ad nauseum. You can practice it for days, hours, weeks, months, whatever it may be. And it just doesn't suit your personality as a player in general. There are certain things that I play that just don't work for me because I, I play a specific way. Yeah. I understand what I'm supposed to do, but my natural tendency is to do something different and it's not good for the hero that I'm playing. Sure. I, I have no problem tanking. I have no problem being aggressive, even though I'm not a great main tank. I, it's something I need to work at. I'm not a bad off tank. I'm better at certain off tanks than others, but I, I'm okay being on that front line when I know I have support from behind me. But you asked me to maybe be a main DPS guy, and I, I can tell you right now, I get way too aggressive. I play too far forward. I play out of position, and it, it's something that I simply just – whatever is in my head, like I can't get myself out of that kind of mindset. And that's what it seems like it is for Jake. He just can't get himself out of that DPS mindset where he can't be as aggressive. He can't be out of position as often because you just – you can't get out of there. It's Your your escapability on Bridget is slim to none. Right. You have one – shield bash to get you a little bit away and you have a shield that you can hold but you just you can't walk when you're doing that so they've got they got to figure something out but dallas you did what you're supposed to do you found a way to win you pleased the home crowd in fact you probably pleased both crowds because that that match was exciting from start to finish everybody got their money's worth on on that sunday night matchup i loved watching it i know you had a blast watching it and you'll discuss that a little bit later mentally Uh, exhausted but I'm looking forward to the Atlanta matchups and whoever they're going to play in their quote unquote rivalry there. <laughs> yeah. So, and to wrap it up here, that uh, puts us at a, you know, subpar 47 and nine for lemmings and 46 and 10 in it's stage awful, two for man. me. It's, it's not looking good for us right now. So I don't, I don't know what to say keep about picking. that. I don't really- <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the season though, I got a three game lead on lemmings. Like I said last week, whenever he gets within a game, I'll probably just make all the same picks he does. But I got the <laughs> I got the better of him. Got the better of him in that uh, Chengdu Hangzhou matchup on Saturday. I'm really disappointed in London. They ruined my perfect perfect weekend. It right. would have only been eight no, but it still would have been eight no. So, hey, that matter. I I would have felt that would have been amazing if you had pulled that off. I I I would have not picked Chengdu. There's just n- nothing in my head would have said, "Hey, I'm going to pick Chengdu over London, who has a potential to go seven and zero in the stage, and we had a potential to have four seven and zero teams." Side mm-hmm. note: We, barring two like stunning upsets this stage, there was actually a chance to have five seven and zero teams at the end of the stage, and their matchups this week are more favorable. Minus, I think, like San Francisco and maybe the Gladiators. I think San Francisco is slightly tougher against Philly, but they should still steamroll that. Yeah. You know, like that's that's where they were at. Like that's how close it was right, to, right. to seeing that kind of result. And that would have been some fun chaos, let me tell you. Moving on, though, let's get into our reaction. Let's get into our critical hits, shocks, highlights, whatever you want to call them. Let's start it off with you, buddy. What do you got for me? Yeah, Paris, you've got to stop the player carousel. That's my That's my hit right now. I think you are a really talented roster. I think there are a lot of really great individual pieces. I think you're the hope of the European Overwatch scene. 
and you're really letting European Overwatch down. So we have the London Spitfire, but it's an all-Korean roster. So I think a lot of people in Europe are probably, or at least hopefully, looking to the Paris Eternal to provide that, you know, the EU. This is my EU team. This is who I can rally behind. And yeah, you have to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, London, no, I'm going to say this is a little political, but uh, Brexit. So they're no longer part of the EU. I'm just saying. Oh, that, fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we, we started off tanking with Ben Best. He kind of came out really strong, but then struggled towards the end of stage one. So we took out Ben Best. Now we've got in LH Cloudy and Nico. And whatever this rotation of Shadowburn and Danye, it seems like Shadowburn's been coming in on hybrids and uh, and control maps, and then they rotate in Danye. And in the current map set, that's literally back and forth. And so for me, there's has to be an element of you're out on the stage, you're playing with your team, you're getting into a rhythm, you're communicating well, and then you have to pack up your keyboard, your mouse, you have to change all your settings, you have to leave the stage, you have to go back to your little dugout and basically watch a match, and then you have to pack it all back up and come back out and do it again. And in the NFL, there's a concept of there are certain running backs where you just have to keep giving them the football, right? And they just ha- you just have even if it's unsuccessful up front, there they come along throughout the mat, you know, throughout the the game, and they just wear an opposing defense down, and they keep crashing in. Um, Adrian Peterson's an example. I think Ezekiel Elliott's an example of these running backs where you just have to keep giving them the football. It just, it matters. It truly matters to them and they'll find that rhythm and they'll work with the team really well and they'll work everything out. And towards the end of the game, they're just being successful and you are preventing your DPS players from being able to do that. In my perspective, you're preventing them from having a continuity of and learning about, you know, I'm, I can anticipate when, LH Cloudy is going to do an Earth Shatter. I can anticipate when Gray is going to give me a Nano because we're not working together frequently. And I think the teams that we are seeing who are finding success are the teams that really don't sub quite as much. I mean, there's been some teams that have come along by subbing in some players, and I think it's a little bit of new player smell. Um, Crystal and Hangzhou come to mind. But by and large, Vancouver, New York Excelsior, real, you know, London Spitfire, the Los Angeles Gladiators, because they've even stopped kind of trying to rotate Surefour in, are finding the success. And it's I think one reason that they're getting that success is they're not subbing in between every single match. I think you're absolutely right in the in this regard. The teams at the top of the league, or even the teams that look relatively consistent most weeks, are not changing their six-man lineup very often. The way the current meta is, with it all being so synergistic with the 3-3, you really need to have people who are on the same page consistently. I find this to be true even in my own gaming. I have a group of six, including myself, that when we play together, we haven't played together that often, but we usually play better when all six of us are together, talking together. We understand kind of who's going to do what and what's expected of each person. We don't really have to kind of overthink anything or try to figure out how can I make extra plays here or there. And when we're missing... I'll say at least probably at least two of them, we struggle. We kind of go 50-50 in matches. And that's kind of what you're seeing from these teams who are subbing their players in and out. They, they're they not as consistent. They're not always on the same page. You can tell that somebody's trying to fit in still and is not quite there with the team chemistry. But when you bring that other player back in that is either have been playing longer or has been with them longer or whatever, it just seems to flow better. So I would like to see teams in general find their six-man roster and stick to it and not make so many changes. Like you said, though, when you're subbing a player in 
to the roster that's a new acquisition or when you're making just a full sale change and that player is going to stay in, that makes a difference for some teams and that is okay. But the map to map thing is what's killing these teams for sure. I can't go on any further without addressing the biggest surprise of the week. I know we talked about it during the recall quickly, but my goodness, Chengdu, whew, Chengdu over London. I didn't see it coming again. I don't think anybody really did see that coming. And it was more or less how they handled London. It was more or less they were in control of each map, each handled. fight. Yeah, <laughs> that's they how were, they handled it. They handled them. <laughs> yes, they were in control of all of that. London had zero answer for Jinmu on Farah. And I do not understand why. It's seriously not that, quote unquote, difficult to counterpick Farah and deal with it. You tell this person on Widow, it's your job. Go deal with her. You know, and then you force Jinmu to have to play around buildings and, you know, sight lines so he can't get picked off. But they never did that. They just said, you know, we're going to run Widow and Hanzo and then Jinmu is going to hide. But now we have to deal with everybody else and teams diving us and we're stuck in place the whole time. We've got our wrist out here and she's just chilling. You know, we're stuck playing in the choke the whole time. So we can't make any real progress. And we're stuck trying to make this happen in the last minute of a round. And it just it doesn't work. Chengdu forces you into that kind of thing, though. Like, they force you to have to think about what you're going to do to stop them. And that's more or less what a lot of teams don't have to do when they're playing Mirror 3-3. It's very obvious what the answer is. Play better in the 3-3 than the other team. You use your alt economy better in the 3-3 than the other team. You know, target the necessary player. Find a way to get that person down. Everything else will crumble behind that. When you're playing that DPS lineup, though, it's like, who do we deal with first sometimes? Do we deal with the fire first? Do we deal with what is potentially a Sombra, a Soldier, whatever it may be on their other DPS hero? Do we try to deal with this freaking Amang, who is the most annoying wrecking ball I think I could ever <laughs> imagine? And it's difficult to come up with an answer. They force you to play differently. And it showed because when London was playing outside of 3-3, they honestly looked like they were all over the place. It looked yeah. disorganized. It looked unprepared, which is shocking for anybody playing Chengdu because you should only be preparing to do things that are not 3-3 as far as I'm concerned. You know they're not going to run 3-3. You either are or are not. And you've been running 3-3 in other matches. You should be fine. You need to be doing the other things in case you're going to counter pick them. Right. And that's it didn't look that way for London. It just flat out didn't. Yeah, they tried Bird Ring on Widow for a little bit in Eichenwald because he was so dedicated to trying to bring down Jinmu. Jinmu was just playing the angles and keeping Bird Ring occupied, which if you can take a Bird Ring out of a fight, and then obviously Bird Ring's been the Brigida. They kind of rotated him onto the Brigida player for their 3-3 compositions. So first point, Eichenwald, not a, not a huge 3-3 matchup, but yeah, Bird Ring not really able to capitalize on headshots getting Jinmu down. And so that's him, you know, dedicated to just hunting Jinmu and being unsuccessful while Jinmu's just as long as he's playing the angles correctly, really doesn't have to, to bother Bird Ring too much. And it's still raining damage down on the rest of the team. So it didn't look good. Yeah, it certainly did not. My other surprise, though, and this was something I honestly did not expect, and I'm going to, you know, clap it up for probably the worst team in the league right now. Houston, thank you. For the love of God, thank you for playing your best possible lineup. It, it may not have been enough. I think the problem on Saturday was pre-match decision-making. What yeah. were we going to do? You know, what kind of strategy were we going to run, et cetera, et cetera. It was poor, just bad. And that's not necessarily the player's faults. Uh, you've already voiced your concern about our coaching situation, and I'm not voicing it, but I'm voicing it. Um, <laughs> but, and then on... Uh, 
Sunday against Dallas, it was just it was just simple playing mistakes. You know, things that are more or less going to happen. You just try to reduce them in in game. So I can live with that. But here's the lineup that I want to see the rest of the freaking A stage and season of 3-3 continues to be what 3-3 is, and I don't see it changing. Jake, Dante, Spree, Boink, Raucous, Muma, with Linkser subbing in for Dante when necessary, when you have the opportunity to run Widow Soldier on certain maps. Right. That's, that's when you bring Linkser in. I do believe you take Dante out, not Jake. I understand Jake's not the best Bridget player, but... Our best 3-3 lineup is Jake, Dante, Spree, Boink, Raucous, Movement. Simple as that. It's, they've proved it over and over again. And there is just enough flexibility in that group to do some other things. You can't obviously run Widow with that group, unfortunately. But when Linkser comes in, he will play Zarya if necessary. He's just not very good at it, and it shows. But Spree's your best Zarya player. Boink, Raucous, your best two supports. Muma can play either uh, Wrecking Ball, Winston, or... Reinhardt, which is exactly what you need out of your main tank. They need that flexibility. And then Dante has shown the ability to play some Diva. It's not at a high level, but most of the time when he's in and for running 3-3, he's running Sombra. And if that's what you're going to play around, then play around it. You know, commit to it. Right. Don't keep playing this game and going back and forth. But how are you going to play some? Would you like to play some Diva this game? And then, oh, Spree, can you, you think you could play a little Diva? Because I think we're going to put Dante on Sombra so we can get a little more DPS. Nah, stop that nonsense. Stick to this lineup. Do what has been at least relatively successful. It got you to three and four in stage one and gave you a chance at the stage playoffs. I don't know why it was messed with so heavily. It was a poor decision going into stage two, but thank you for finally going back to that. And don't ever play Sombra as the solo DPS. Don't don't play Diva Sombra. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't that, don't, don't please don't do that. That was a mistake. There. I don't know what strategy you how you thought that was gonna work you had that was no saturday damage. right yeah they they I mean, ran that all saturday it was just yeah it, it was just nut i mean even the casters were like this just doesn't work and won't work it, and it was on paris which is like you can literally run anything else other than that <laughs> and they were getting rick rolled on point one paris which is actually pretty tough to do absolutely is so yeah no please never do that again you can't there's no damage output so in a, in a meadow where DPS heroes aren't even being run, you decided to take out the only pseudo DPS player right. in Zarya, and that makes absolutely zero sense because Sombra's not going to get it done for you. And, and even Zarya when you is the only capability you have to keep people on the field after an EMP. Like that's the thing too is not yeah. just damage; it's this capability. Okay, Dante just six player e- EMP. Well, now they're all behind the wall because. <laughs> They just ran away, or you, can't, out. Like, you simply can't do enough damage to them, even if they don't run. Like it's it, right. it was just again barf. Why just decision making pre match? And I'm I'm not naming names, but you are. Um, I'm I'm coming out. I'm making. I'm planting my flag. This has got to stop. Yeah, go ahead. I'm I'm gonna die on that hill with you. I'm just not gonna plant the flag beside you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the flag bearer for that one. Please and thank you. Uh, anyway, let's talk about a real highlight though of this past weekend. Oh my goodness. Yo. The electricity of being at some venue somewhere other than the Blizzard Arena in LA. Home field advantage clearly is a thing. Clearly matters. I always thought it mattered in LA. I didn't know it mattered this much. Let's leave it at that. I mean, it was it was real. It was tangible through the TV that I'm watching yeah. it on. I can I can feel the energy in that place go insane when Dallas comes out on the I mean 
So to be fair, Dallas started as Team Envy, and they've been in Overwatch, competitive Overwatch, for quite some time. And Team Envy actually has a pretty solid fan base anyways from a lot of their other teams because Team Envy has, you know, League of Legends and Counter-Strike teams and everything else. So they had a pretty dedicated fan base before they ever even became the Dallas Fuel. Then they became the Dallas Fuel because basically Team Envy just bought the team Dallas Fuel and then moved their whole roster up. So they had this really dedicated fan base. So, I mean, when you say like, you know, 5,000 people come out and I want to say 4,000 of those people are Dallas Fuel fans. And I mean, you guys make a play. I mean, it was insane. It was never, I like... From my perspective, it was never more evident than during that the Los Angeles Valiant one. I really felt like watching Dallas just dominate the Los Angeles Valiant. And you could just, I don't know, you could just feel this energy kind of coming out of it. It was crazy. Um, it clearly had an absolutely monumental impact on OG. He was playing out of his mind. I mean, it was fat shatter after fat shatter after ridiculous primal after just crazy good Winston play. It was nuts to watch him go crazy. I, I think to a degree it also had a huge impact on Zachary just playing really strong on the Sombra charge and ults really. I mean, it was crazy. Um, and I think, you know, just kind of coming to the end of it, watching the Houston-Dallas matchup, didn't feel like, I mean, it felt like it had an impact to both teams because there was still a pretty good Houston following there at this at this event center. But that one just felt like the, the total energy felt, I felt like I watched the grand finals at the end. Like I, we just, like I'm on the edge of my seat. Houston's got a chance to potentially get this card up the, up the side of, of Watchpoint Gibraltar. I mean, as long as they, you know, didn't do exactly what they did, <laughs> um, they had this chance. And I mean, I was just, I don't know how to say, I mean, I, I was tense. I was like, in, I mean, people in that place were going nuts when Dallas made it. I mean, it was crazy. It was just, it matters. It's real. I believe I'm a believer. <laughs> I don't think you can dispute that it's real. I, I was eating the intimates out of the box. It's yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the the players were clearly motivated by the crowd. They clearly felt the crowd. I don't know if you caught it, but after that Dallas Houston matchup, I mean, OG was in tears. That's yeah. how much emotion was running through him after that match. And that that's what it's all about. It seems weird because it's a video game, but we have people crying in tears in sports. For sure. And that's what you want. That means you're invested emotionally into what you're doing. And as a fan, we know we're invested emotionally. That's why we get angry. That's why we get happy. That's why we get sad. It's, we want the players to have that same sort of emotion and not just necessarily always treat it as a business. We understand it's a business. We understand it's your job and you are trying to make a living by playing a professional sport. But at the end of the day, those people that stick in the same franchise or play for a city that they know they love, they want to be a part of. I know it seems weird now with LeBron being in LA, but when he went back to Cleveland, he was playing for Cleveland. He played with so much more emotion and passion when he was in Cleveland it was a different LeBron than any other time I had seen him play. And that's that's what you want out of your players. And to see OGE cry, and we're only in season two for crying out loud. We haven't even really gotten into real, like, full-on home game scheduling. Yeah. That, that I, I felt that, and I'm not even a Dallas fan. Like, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for these teams next year when they're getting to play a little closer to home each, where they're each getting their own home game. I think it's not going to quite work out that way. But, I mean, more teams are going to have their personal first home games you just you gotta love the emotion that comes with it. It was spectacular. I I can only say glowing things about it right now. Yeah. 
Another quick highlight I did want to bring up. Um, there was actually a really cool moment after the Hangzhou Spark Paris Eternal game where Soon and Gushui actually exchanged jerseys. Uh, Caught that. Caught yeah. that. That'll be cool. Um, it was really cool. I was going back and there's like a little, I was kind of reading a couple articles about it. There's a, a story, just kind of an old Twitter post. Soon was like, dude, I really want a Gushui jersey. And he was like, yeah, I can make that happen. I want a Paris Eternal jersey. And there's been, I guess there's been some things where like Soon has switched over his uh, Overwatch game to like Chinese and he's learning the Chinese language and things like that. So obviously he's very interested in China and, and becoming a little bit more immersed in that culture. And so there was a really great moment between him and Gushui exchanging jerseys. So that was, that was really cool and really nice to see. I do remember seeing that really cool moment. Maybe we'll start seeing a jersey swap thing with every player, but I mean, maybe they just do one per, per team per game uh, going forward. But either way, that's a really cool thing to see. And like you said, it's something that I think is important for the league. We see it in soccer all the time. You see it in basketball, football, especially with guys that are retiring. Right. <laughs> Everybody's trying to get that jersey from them. <laughs> right, right. But it is just a nice little memento. Uh, and in that that aspect, you know, they can say, you know, we played in the first home games, even though it wasn't our home games. You know, we played there. This is who we played. I've got his jersey, stuff like that. So it's a really cool thing to do. That brings this episode to a nice close we hope you enjoyed listening to the recall. We will have another episode for you here shortly. We're going to do the preview for week five to get you prepared for the playoff scenarios and the matchups that are going to affect those. We're looking forward to doing that for you. I think we're both pretty excited to do this preview. We want to make sure it gets done right. We're looking looking like we're going to put a little extra time into the uh, the prep work for that, get you all the details that you, you deserve as fans and listeners. Yes, sir. As always, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at BreakItDownOWL. You can find me at JWill2287. You can find Lemmings nowhere on Twitter. Eventually, we will get there. Never gonna happen, never gonna happen. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to email us at BreakItDownOWL at gmail.com. We look forward to doing the preview with you here in the next day or so. All right, everybody, week five, end of stage two is upon us. We will talk to you soon.